Welcome to the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. You are about to listen to the Musa Cyber Cafe Podcast with Mansi Thakar. Musa is your doctor of digital hygiene, guiding you through headlines, infusing cyber confidence, and stirring secure spaces. Sip with us and strengthen your digital presence. Enjoy this episode and remember that knowledge is power. Now more than ever. Namaste. I'm Musa, your doctor for digital hygiene, and welcome to our Cyber Cafe. Recently, the White House released a statement emphasizing the need for cybersecurity in our academic environments, especially K-12. I think the statistic goes on to say that out of all the schools that experienced a cyber attack in the last academic year, 50% of them had to either close or cancel classes or close down completely. Right. So with it being back to school season here for us in the U.S., uh, today we're crafting a safe cyber blend to equip students of all ages as they continue their academic journeys. With me is Dr. Ryan Coe, Ryan, uh, who's not only the head coach one of the team that won the second place for International Cybersecurity Championship, right, Team Oceana, um, but also an entrepreneur and a professor of cybersecurity at the University of Queensland. Ryan, thank you so much for joining. Um, before we kind of dive Thank into, you, you know, digital guardianship and stuff, uh, what's your go-to brew? Like, are you a coffee, tea, or something else <laughs> completely? Uh, so my go-to is coffee, and I, uh, I guess my 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 favorite type of the, the way that the coffee is done is a flat white. So it's a bit like a cappuccino with lesser milk on. Nice. Oh, that that sounds very yum. Uh, today I'm sticking with a iced matcha <laughs> since we're experiencing like a heat wave here in San Diego. So let's just kind of get down to the brass tacks, right? Um, starting from an academic institution perspective, since, you know, you're a professor yourself, can you shed light on maybe like the top two to three cyber risk that universities are like trying to address or need to address down to securing our digital future? Yeah, I, I guess the the, the first uh, cybersecurity risk right now is probably uh, the risk of being attacked by a ransomware or being held ransom by a ransomware attack. So um, one of the the key priorities now is maybe for the schools and for the different departments that are linked to the to the different uh, schools at both the local and state and also federal governments um, to actually look at how do we improve the uh, authentication of the of the different accounts. So, if you can perhaps implement multi-factor authentication, that could remove a lot of the threats uh, that can come from breach-based ransomware attacks. The other risk is the I would say uh, in in the form will be in the form of uh, data breaches. Uh, so, so that could happen before the. Um, before the ransomware attack risk, and usually it happens before that. Uh, it's also down to um, you know, the the lack of poor um, authentication methods to to challenge you know authentic users uh, in, in getting into the system. So, data breaches will be the second one, um, and the third one is I guess it's not so much of a cybersecurity but cyber safety. So there is uh, an emerging and um, increasing trend of bullying being, uh, you know, displaced from a from a um, face-to-face type of bullying to uh, the statistics that show that bullying is now moving into online 
e-bullying, cyberbullying type of environment. So bullying is one of the cyber safety uh, aspects. The other one is the the risk of the children getting in touch with random uh, strangers online that that can uh, pass off as somebody who is in their age group and then uh, you know getting groomed in, in that process. So so there is an emerging trend. Uh, at, at least uh, I will know from the statistics in the. Australasia region. And that's, that is so true, right? I think we've, we've all heard about or kind of somewhere in our mind even kind of gotten accustomed to bullying and that, you know, idea of bullies and, you know, how do you stand up to a bully and stuff. But when it comes to the cyber, right, when it comes to the trolls, even things like that, when they're hidden behind some sort of uh, digital facade, it, it's harder to, like, how do you stand up to them? You know, you don't even, like, where am I supposed to say, like, hey, stop kind of thing? Um, being, being a dad yourself, right? What are some of like tools or, um, best practices that you, you think for kids when it comes to like, let's kind of dive into cyberbullying specific. Mm-hmm. That's definitely touched, uh, touched my heart. So, uh, I guess, the it, in my experience, so I've, I've done, I've done a bit of, um, you know, so I've got a bit of responsibility, heavier responsibility on my shoulders because I advise schools and ministers in, in, in different countries on, on this. And one of the things that, um, that can help to prevent, uh, your, uh, protect your kids from, from being cyberbullied, um, is that, uh, firstly, you have to realize that it happens all the time and you probably can't prevent it from happening. But one of the things is that you, you can, as a parent or as a guardian of the child, increase their resilience on it and, and just tell them about, you know, engage them at a young age, preferably between, uh, when they, when they can start to read and when they start to use devices that, you know, it's not all the time, uh, what you read or what you see is what they are. So to prepare them that there are different, um, different actors out there. Giving them that kind of awareness helps them to, uh, understand, you know, what kind of um, messages they should engage with and what type of uh, interactions they should engage with and also providing a safe space for them to have a chat. So I talk to my kids about, you know, their interaction online and say, oh no. So, so we say, oh, what, what's, uh, what's this, what's this person um, in, in this forum saying, and you know, we, when we identify different cases that are safe for discussion with the kids, we can use it as a, as a case study to say, Hey, look, do you think this is a healthy conversation? And what do you think about the person behind, behind the screen, if somebody is doing this? So just raising the awareness, uh, making sure that they are more resilient to people doing that to them and also um, that they don't do it to others as well. So that's the two ways of the, of the coin. So. There are many resources online. I, I found recently in New Zealand, especially there was a, a e-safety campaign for, for kids when, and I can share the links with you after this. Okay. And, um, they basically are just short, uh, less than one minute type of videos, which, um, actually advises parents on what to do and how to engage with the kids. So it's, it's something that you, you can, you can check out as well. Oh, awesome. No, yes, definitely. I'll take you up on that offer. And, and I. I want to emphasize, I love that you're having these conversations with your kids about not only, hey, this is this is healthy and this is not, but kind of asking them, right? Hey, 
what do you think of this forum kind of engaging their sense of awareness and critical thinking skills of like trying to make their own decisions right i think that is so uh that is so powerful right there um what about your art what kind of thoughts do you have on like parent controls for various apps and you know digital kind of yes so parental control is uh I mean, this is a, a space which is very subjective and, and, and different people have different preferences. My personal preference is basically to um, even limit the, the time of the, you can limit the, when they search for something, um, we, we, set, we set our search settings to save searches uh, and, and uh, giving us re results which are less uh, you know, offensive and less, less illegal of a nature. And that's something that you can do, but it's not a foolproof thing. You know? It's still like, a, it's like a leaky firewall. You know, you, you can't, you can't prevent things from showing up in searches. There are different, uh, another aspect of this is the controlling. We could control the amount of time that they spend. For example, when, when we go home, we make it a point that, um, we have no, you know, when we, especially when we're having uh, meals, like uh, lunch and dinner or for the weekends or dinners during week, weekdays, we, we don't have devices on our, on our dining table. We have a proper conversation, uh, as a family with no interrupt interruption. And that, that sets a bit of, a you know, a, a routine. There are also, um, different ways that people do settings on, on the internet where there are, um, filters to prevent uh, certain search results from coming on certain types of traffic. So there's a lot of tools out there and there's too many, and I'm not going to endorse one or two. Um, on the, on the mobile phone, you also will have, uh, different family, uh, you know, family control options. So, so, um, you, you can actually see what, what, you know, what kind of, uh, apps they buy. So you make sure that they don't, they don't do that. Um, my personal, my personal, um, way of doing it right now is my, my family, we, we, we don't really subscribe to any, um, internet service providers. So we don't have actually Wi-Fi at home. So it's a bit extreme. Um, but, and that's because my, my understanding is that, um, this is my personal understanding is that broadband in the future will be obsolete. So we just have to live with a proper, uh, 5G or 4G type of connection anyway. So, so that's how we, um, we reduce that. And then, um, the kids now are still pre, you know, still little children and preteens. So we, when they need the internet, they come and ask us for a hotspot and we turn on the hotspot for them to use. And then we sit next to them and we talk to them. Uh, we do provide them with many alternative activities besides looking at the screen. So we encourage them to go to the backyard to, to have fun, play some ball games or even just play some, uh, we have a games night every week. Uh, so we, um, we play board games that are not electronic. So yeah, it's, it's, it's just some of the things that we do from time to time. I do talk about privacy, uh, with my elder daughter who's 10. And, uh, we, we talked about like, you know, imagine if, if you, if you have a, a, a photograph online, so I show them how people can use, 
photographs and, and use AI to actually generate fake photographs of the person, you know, and, and I said, that's, that's quite creepy, right? And then they said, yeah, it's creepy. So, so let's try not to put something online as much as we can, you know, and yeah. Then they said, oh, daddy, you have something online. I said, yeah, I have no choice because I was already exposed and in my job as a professor, I have not much of a choice. So, so, you know, so I, I try to limit the types of photographs I put online and, and yeah, then I also recently showed them how, uh, some, the social engineering experts could mimic different voices using AI as well. And then that kind of also show them, you know, like, oh, this is a risk. So. Let's try to have a digital footprint that's as minimal as possible. So, so these are some of the things that they probably will uh, stand the test of time rather than just depending on the uh, technology to solve a, actually a human or a social problem. Well, yes, I completely agree, right? That I think the last statement specifically where you're like, well, th these practices will stand the test of time because that's true, right? What's not on the internet or what's not out there no one can recreate or manipulate or, you know, rephrase it in certain ways, right? It's whatever we choose or sometimes yeah. not choose, depending on our roles um, to put on the internet. But I agree with you that once it's out there, how it's going to get used, you know, despite there being like uh, consent at time, sometimes there is no consent and, you know, things still get circulated and populated all yeah. around. So I agree with that. You know, switching into, you mentioned being a professor, right, yourself. What do you, what kind of tips or um, guidance would you have to students coming into universities now? I'm going to go there. Uh, I would say that cybersecurity is one of the emerging, very well-paying type of uh, field that you can consider. I'm a bit biased here, but I'm seeing a lot of stats and there's a lot of demand. Uh, and there's also a good social cause as well when you, when you do that. Uh, when you are going into the university environment, um, you want to work into, uh, look at the, not just the degrees that they have, as you, as you say, Mansi, that a lot of knowledge and a lot of information is online now, and you can actually learn a lot of things without going to a university. So what's the point of the university degree? It is actually to allow you to learn how to learn uh, and also to shape your brain to be able to work on something over a few years and to achieve it and to learn the way of learning and application of knowledge guided by peers and guided by university um, professors to to achieve something that, that you can be you know you can be sure that you are truly qualified. I discovered deeper philosophy when I was doing actually my PhD, when, when I was actually given a, a bit of a time to think a bit deeper and consider different philosophical frameworks for approaching different things. And I felt that kind of expanded the horizons of my brain and my thinking. So I think I truly enjoy the university process. Um, once, let's say, the student has identified the university and the course of studies, right? What about um, protecting their digital presence at a university campus? Are there any best practices to be aware of when, I guess, being a university student in terms of privacy and that digital safety? Um, I guess in terms of privacy and digital safety, just if you stick to the university environment and 
be very careful with how you expose your stu student IDs or uh, even your student emails. Be careful with who you share all these things because those credentials that are used to uh, pass off as you and also keep a lookout for um, ways to actually improve your security through if they have a, a two-factor authentication, uh, enable it and use it as much as you can. Create backups uh, for your content. Make sure that your assignments are not, you know, wiped out overnight um, because of a cyber attack. Uh, and for the backups, create another backup. So the backup of backups because some of the assignments, um, I guess, uh, yeah, you spend so much time and then the last thing you want is that your, your hard disk died or your computer died or the instance in the cloud gets wiped out because of a faulty patch in the system. The, um, the other thing that you can look out for in terms of the, uh, protecting your privacy on, uh, is, is the way you share your content online. So like when you're engaging with different social media, um, you post something into the social media and you don't want to say the specifics of where you are and what course you're, you're doing and in which class or in which group. And, you know, at, at that time, because, uh, that can be easily scripted and, um, you know, as, as open source intelligence about your interests or your courses, and then cyber criminals can easily create a profile about you and then, uh, do targeted phishing attacks or targeted social engineering attacks on you. So that could be, and you might be thinking, oh, I'm just an ordinary undergraduate or graduate student. Why would anyone want to target me? Well, they're not targeting you. They're just being opportunistic. So they, they do a mass, uh, you know, mass scan of all the different possible people to attack. And once they found that, say the university sector is, uh, very, um, easy to attack, uh, vector, they can just replicate it across all the universities, you know, so. And, and it's just one of the people that they can, they can, uh, open it and they just look for a small percentage of people to fall for it. Recently in Australia, we have a few, uh, very concerning scams. These scams actually, are to do with the payment of university fees for overseas students. And this is something that has affected more than, I'll say more than a million people overseas. Uh, worldwide and mm -hmm. what typically happens, uh, the scams are actually, um, people targeting, not you as an undergraduate or graduate student, but targeting your parents or the people who pay for your courses. They, they use the information that you share online or in your social media chats and they pass off as you and they, um, they indirectly extort money from, uh, from your parents. And then the money that's used for your college payments, uh, gets siphoned off and never recovered. So this has affected some of our, um, Australian overseas students, uh, across many different universities. And it has affected them from realizing the dream of going to Australia to study. So this is not, uh, not a pleasant thing. Uh, but I really look, I encourage you to look out for such scams and uh, this kind of things and advise your 
uh, funders of your education <laughs> or, or your parents, you know, to, uh, to look into uh, being a bit more resilient towards this kind of scams and, and this create some kind of authentication. Like if somebody wants to say that it, it is you, um, you've got to test them, you know, it's a bit like the, uh, the, the recent, uh, I would say the, uh, the Star Trek, if you watch Star Trek Picard, <laughs> so Star Trek Picard, right? They have the one, uh, they have an extraterrestrial form, which can look like any other type of extraterrestrial forms, including humans. So the, the crew authenticated by asking specific contextual questions that whether the, the, that, that, that species can, can answer. And if they can't answer, it's a giveaway that this is a scam. So, <laughs> so I guess this is something that we, we can do. Yeah. Just, just uh, preparing some, some trick questions uh, that you and your family can ask each other. And great analogy, right? And I've, I've actually seen those scams rising here in the U.S. as well. Um, and it's so interesting that you pointed out that sometimes it's not just that they're going after the student, those, you know, many times that's also been the case, but then they're going to now relatives or, you know, like you mentioned, the funders of the students' uh, academic journey, yeah. right? So the parents, the grandparents, and I've seen many times, maybe the parents are like somewhat vigilant, but then when it comes to the grandparents, right, one call to them saying that, oh, your granddaughter needs $5,000 for her next class or, you know, the payment has failed. They're not going to think yeah. twice before just being like, oh, well, here, here's, you know, here's the money, right? Like anything to support yeah, yeah, our family. Yeah. And that is, you see more and more of that, that these hackers or attackers are kind of pulling at those hard strings, right? Pulling at the emotional strings as well, instead yeah. of just being like, well, I need this. Let me just very quickly ask that. But they'll try to create that pressure of, you know, uh, you see the same things in uh, government scams as well, right? Like here, at least a lot of. Yeah. Uh, calls and text messages will come through of like, oh, your IRS is pending. Go and do this, you know, or your like tax return yeah, yeah. is pending. So, yeah, yeah, it's it's all interconnected, right? And but I completely agree with you that how do you keep yourself safe in when there's stimuli and you know thing coming from all over the places? It's definitely a hard yeah. for sure. Um, quite uh, just out of curiosity, right? I I've heard in this that you know when uh, there are the security questions that come up in various applications or when you try to do like multi-factor authentication, some people say that, oh, you should just input your own details because no one will really know those details. And I've actually heard of other folks who like per application, their security answers will be different. <laughs> I don't know how they keep track of all of it, but do you have, do you have a preference on what should we be doing? Uh, technically, uh, in terms of implementation, it doesn't really matter if it's different or the same. Or if it's real or not, because um, if the if the authentication uh, details are, are breached, they are breached. You know, so authentication is basically three things: uh, it's what you know, which is passwords; what you have, which is maybe say a UB key or um, you know some kind of token; and what you are. So three: uh, what you are can be uh, biometrics and iris scans and fingerprint and so on. If you have two out of the three types of what's that I just mentioned, what you have, what you are and what you do, what you know, then you will be pretty, uh, 
secure in terms of authentication. So they, they have to increase the, the difficulty of the cyber criminal getting into your account. So if, if I, if I can point this question back, I would say, uh, probably if you can right now, as, as of the time of recording, <laughs> probably the best, uh, form of protection. Uh, is, is actually, uh, in the form of not just a password, but also a, a hardware key, for example, like a UB key or kind of, uh, uh, situation where you can have multiple authentication and that authentication requires you to touch that device. <laughs> so that, that will be probably rely on the password questions that probably will be your last line of defense and probably go reach. Makes sense. For the average user, right, who may not know what is a YubiKey, can you kind of give me like one, what is it and where can I find one? Um, so it's just one type of, uh, so basically it's like a, um, in, it's, it's like a, 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 a very small hardware, uh, device that looks like a USB stick, but you just put it inside your, your laptop or your devices. And it requires you to either touch it or to enter some other authentication uh, factors. The reason why this is much more, uh, much more secure is because of the added hardware components that, that the cyber criminals cannot replicate easily. I mean, they can, if they hit out very, very persistent, but the word is easily. So, so it's. It's much harder to replicate that and to replicate you working in that network, in, in that IP address, using that device, using that specific hardware key in that device. So it increases the number of complex, amount of complexity. You can easily buy it on any online stores, uh, just go to say Amazon or eBay and you can look for uh, keys or, or some, something similar and depending on your options and your choices, you can just get a pack of three or, you know, it's a bit like ad text, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty accessible if, if you, if you are serious about it, it's not too expensive. Awesome. No, th thank you for that. You've spoken a lot from the student perspective, right? And we've kind of touched in terms of like parents and the relatives of the students, you know, kind of everyone in our ecosystem needs to be a little bit more vigilant, right? There was, there were studies about, you know, how the feeds of the social media tends to, uh, because they tend to, once you click on the fact that you like something, it recommends you more of that thing, right? So it replicates itself. And then over time, it becomes a bit of a, what you call an echo chamber. Um, and the, the best way to be resilient against this is is basically to always uh, remove your your cookies, always clear your histories uh, regularly. Uh, I tend to, um, and also education. So, so providing yourself and your child and a consistent education. So personally, I use privacy serving browsers, which, you know, for example, I would, I'll remove the cookies very regularly and, and I'll just make sure that the history of what I like is not stored, uh, right. for too long. And then I don't get that kind of, um, chamber effects, you know, and, and it resets to a certain level again. 
And there are some, some emerging ways that people can use, like when they, when they have different types of desktop personas for different types of functions in their life. For example, they have a work desktop and then they have a casual, uh, home desktop and they don't link together and, you know, they can do the same for the kids as well, but that requires a bit of technical knowledge. Um, digital safety, uh, back to the UBKey, UBKey question is, uh, if you, you know, if your whole family is up for it, you can, you can, you can ask your whole family to, to have one, uh, hardware authentication feature. Um, I must add that I didn't cover it just now is that the communication between the, the key and also the authentication is, uh, relies on strong encryption procedures as well. And that's why it's a little bit harder to break. Yeah. Um, and it, uh, leverages some of the hardware, unique hardware features inside the device. So that's something that probably is recommended. Um, a lot of the cloud services and providers now, nowadays, like Google or even some of the Amazon accounts or, or and, and so on, they, they would, they would have, uh, features for hardware. Uh, multi-factor authentication as well, they can turn it on. So yeah, I do strongly encourage that, that that's, that's for your safety of your content, but safety of the content is one thing and how a person engages with the knowledge and as a result controls the knowledge rather than the knowledge controlling them. Yes. That's the other part that, that you know, this, this, it's actually just, um, a new form of parenting, you know, parenting in the world of the digital age, right? So yes, yeah. but on a concluding note, kind of thing, Ryan, um, you suggest that they start off with, or let's say they're like, okay, great, you know, tonight we're gonna have a discussion on privacy and digital safety, you know, at the dinner table. Um, what mm. is like a good starting question or starting kind of topic? Uh, one thing that I guess if you are a parent and you're engaging with your family is to ask the, uh, ask your children how these social media companies or so uh, platforms make their money. Uh, so ask what is the revenue model for this? And then they'll, they'll give you different answers to say, oh, they, they do revenue model by this and that. And then, then when it comes to the answer of say advertising and then the, Oh, so, but how do they get advertising dollars? So that leads you to the next question is, you know, how do they gain, uh, this kind of advertising content and you want to use a Socratic way of, uh, asking questions rather than giving them the answer. You have to hold it back. You don't want to give them the answer. You want them to think about it, engage with it and come back to you. And if. If they have to search the internet for the answers of how does a social media company make money and then it's, oh, advertising and how is the advertising done? And then they analyze it and ultimately your goal is to put them in as the subjects that generating the data for these companies to sell the data or exposure to advertising for. And that's when they start to realize that they are they are one of the products that is being sold, right? They are digital personas. And that 
suddenly uh, becomes a bit more personal. And when it becomes a bit more personal and it's, it's basically them figuring it out themselves, they'll be a bit more mentally resilient towards it. I went through this exercise with my elder daughter because she starts to has um, some interest in how, you know, how the economy works and, you know, how companies are making money and all these things. So I asked the same question, like, well, how do you, how do you think they make the money? You know, they, they give it for, to you for free, right? The services uh, that they give to you, they give it to you for free. I'm sure it's not so free. How do they make the money? How do they pay for their staff? You know, to, and, and, and when you, when you start to uh, ask this question, they start to engage and then they start to realize the, the, the model, the freemium models, you know, the different types of models and therein then lies the, uh, and then after you know the economy, probably the next thing is, um, turning it around to not the companies, but the criminals. Like, so let's say if you want to pass off as uh, person A, what would you do to pretend to be this person? So that's the, probably the second dinner conversation. <laughs> and, and, and you can, yeah, you can show them how, uh, you know, images of, of individuals can be generated or searched easily, you know, through the face and you can look at your, your mobile phones and you can see how the, the faces are being categorized. Right. And we can see how, how that's done. And then you can show them, uh, some of the, uh, YouTube videos about how people, um, copy voices of different celebrities and saying, just imagine, you know, like for example, a fake video of Barack Obama speaking, right. And, and, and then let's say, now imagine that's actually you and that person does something using using your your voice and your and your videos to to do something that you don't want them to do how would you feel <laughs> no, <laughs> that, that, that is very impactful right there yeah, right yeah 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 so that's i guess that's a, a more uh, uh self self-learning self self-discovering type of approach because i think if you give them too much info in up front, it's a little bit more, um, they'll glaze over, they'll glaze over. I agree with you that somewhere if they start learning or they're finding out the answers, they come back like, thank you so much, Ryan, for joining us today. Your wisdom is instrumental in helping us brew a cyber safe back to school season. Thank you very much. Listeners, this is Musa signing out. Till next time. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Musa Cyber Cafe Podcast with Mansi Thakar, part of the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. If you learned something new and this conversation made you think, then add this show to your favorite podcast player. Subscribe to the ITSP Magazine YouTube channel and share the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to connect your brand to our conversations and our audience, visit itspmagazine.com to learn how to sponsor one or more of our shows. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey.